when you read from your PowerPoint every word and, and stat that you've just put up there, really what you're doing is you're abusing your audience in this way. You're telling them you're third graders. You really can't read that well yet. You need me <laughs> to read this to you. Yes. That is unintentional, but yet still audience abuse. I'm David Oti, and this is The Power of Story and Science, a mix of content and conversations on how to bring your science to life through powerful presentations. This episode is the second in a two-part conversation with master storyteller and coach Keith Bailey. If you have not already listened to Keith Bailey and the Bottomless Story Well, I urge you to find that episode and listen to how he drew out of me a story I had never told before that moment as we were recording the episode. Welcome to The Power of Story and Science. I'm your host, David Oti, and today we continue the conversation we started in the last episode with Keith Bailey. As we continue today, you will hear the conversation shift more toward the science of how we perceive stories and why they're an important tool for anyone with quantitative information to share. At the end of our conversation, be sure to keep listening for a preview of the next episode. For now, let's pick up the conversation with Keith Bailey. When you deliver just just the facts, you're speaking to a very small portion of, portion of your audience and a very small portion of your audience's brain. Mm. You're, you're speaking to the neocortex where we imprint facts, figures, contents, and data. The easiest way to get your audience to start imprinting that information is to associate, have them associated with something, an anchor, right? Mm-hmm. And story is oftentimes that anchor. I think about the story and the facts and the figures and the content come off of that. It's very difficult for your entire, you want to speak to the entire audience, right? We don't just want to speak to even, even in a room of, of brilliant scientists, there's still only but a small percentage of them that really can only handle, that can only handle facts, figures, and data. We want to speak to the whole audience, which means that you need to give a little bit of a story so they can anchor it to it. Here's the second thing is you may have all the credentials in the world, but why should I trust you? I may have heard you t- t- tell stories before or give presentations before, but in this moment, why should I trust you? Mm, we share yes. something uh, of a of a personal nature, where we share a story, as we talked about earlier, your audience is going to trust you even more. And if it's a story as how you got to the point where you're at, right? To give that, that the audience a little bit of like, this is the research we did. We thought this one thing over here was going to be the result. But then the team got together, we did these things, and the information that came back to us mm-hmm. is going to shock you as much as it shocked us. Oh, yes. Here we go, right? Is just to tee it up as opposed to, here's the numbers. I don't need you on stage to be able to read numbers, which brings up the second point. You're the presentation. That's right. You're the presentation. The, the, the thing that I have sitting over here, this is a visual aid. It's here to help aid visually 
in the presentation itself, but you're the presentation, you're the person standing up there. And for those people in the audience that just want to read the facts and figures where they can get the manual, you don't need you standing up there. Give a handout. That's right. Give them a handout, right? Is is when you read from your PowerPoint every word and, and stat that you've just put up there, really what you're doing is you're abusing your audience in this way. You're telling them <clears throat> you're third graders. You really can't read that well yet. You need me <laughs> to read this to you. Yes. That is unintentional, but yet still audience abuse. If you're standing up there, why are you standing there and lead with the why? Right? Lead with here, the why. Uh, there's, there's a, a blog that I just posted. I can't remember his name. I'm going to have to look for it because it's, it's, uh, he taught at MIT. He was an MIT professor. And okay. one of the, uh, his, he does the whole training. It's, it's online. It's had like 2 million views. I'll, I'll just send it to you. have to share it. it it's, it's so good. And sure, I'll share it in the, in the program notes. Yeah. And he starts off with the most important thing is the gift that you give your audience at the very beginning. You tell them, what is your here to give them? My intention today is to change your mind mm-hmm. with the information that I'm going to share with you. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to do this. And then in the end, your mind will be changed. Mm-hmm. To set that expectation, your audience knows what the rest of the presentation is going to be. They know they're going to be challenged. Right? Mm-hmm. They're going to be made uncomfortable to question things. But they also know that somewhere along the way, you're going to give me definitive proof that is going to change my mind. And by, uh, by, by conditioning your audience that way, they're there along the ride with you, whether you share just content and data or you're sharing story to go along with it. Yeah. He's brilliant. The other thing that he talked about also is he has uh, rules in his when he speaks, and that is all laptops closed and all cell phones put away. No technology whatsoever. Mm-hmm. No and technology. No technology. Uh, because it's distracting not only to, to you, but to the people sitting around you as That's well. Right. We are a... I forget the word he uses, mono focus, mono, we have a mono processor, a singular processor, like we can't multi A single threaded processor. Okay. Right? Which yeah. means that if, if you have any kind of distraction other than pen and paper for you to take notes on, mm-hmm. you're not fully engaged. Right. When you take the stage, if you want your entire audience, set the expectation. Who that has? Mm-hmm. Once you're here with set me today, turn off your email, turn off this, put everything away, listen. And if they're going to listen, tell them the story. <laughs> I love that you reinforced a point I often like to make, that you are the presentation. And what's up on the screen is your visual aid. And in fact, I've come up with my own definition for the presentation. And you can tell me if this agrees with yours. I say to people on coaching, your presentation is everything your audience members perceive you to do to say or to show them from the time you have their attention until the time you relinquish it. And that means that if you start by fumbling with your projector or your microphone, it's part of your presentation. So yeah, have everything queued up where you can walk up, push a button, the slides appear and, and you don't need to look at them and you don't need to fumble with them. You don't need to wait for the projector to warm up. (laughs) Black slides are your, are your best friend. (laughs) I, I learned there's a, a gentleman who does uh, court presentations. So he builds out the presentations for, for courtrooms. 
Okay. And uh, for his name's Dermot, Dermot Truax, uh, an incredible facilitator, incredible presenter, but he's the one who shared that piece of knowledge with me is the blank slide. Mm-hmm. So powerful because yeah. what happens is the audience has been looking at the slide, suddenly it goes blank, they're going to come right back to you. They're going to come back to you. That's you right. The presentation. Yeah. I learned that from Edward Tufte, who's a, a well-known expert on presentation, presentation of information, professor emeritus at Yale. I got to attend one of his seminars years ago, and, and I still quote him all the time. And the yeah. second most powerful thing next to the blank slide to bring your audience back to you, mm-hmm. silence. Silence. Yes. Silence does, does several things, and I teach and preach silence like try a pregnant pause see how uncomfortable it is for you and how long it feels for you but it's a gift to your audience for for two reasons and there's many reasons but i'm gonna give you two one the amount of content information the rate that you speak people cannot process that right so when you pause it allows them to process it to catch up. back up again right. to hear the next thing you're going to say if you just if you are the micro machine man that just runs through it they're going to hear perhaps the beginning and maybe the end And in the middle, they're going to jump out of the room, which is the second reason you want to pause. When we speak, people have little trips in their minds, right? They'd have those those first thoughts that pop in, they glance at them for a moment, and they leave your presentation. If you pause, you give them the opportunity to leave, but when they hear the pause, they suddenly stop and they come right back again. That's right. What's going on? What's going on? What's changed? So mm-hmm. pausing is like the biggest gift that you can give, especially if you're giving technical information. Give it a piece, let it digest, and then talk about what it means. We're talking about what the information they're about to receive means. Pause, give them the information. Because what you're doing is you're, the, in, in, a, in a, a good presenter does this seamlessly, you're just switching gears between the, the, the different processor that you're speaking to and if you're really good, you're able to get it like right in line with each other. You just toggle back and forth. And you're right mm-hmm. in those two processors. Mm-hmm. Great speakers, they do this through storytelling because they, they put you in, in an limbic mind and then also pausing. It just allows that switch to happen seamlessly. Allow the switch to happen seamlessly. I love that. I love yeah. that. This is all such great content. I can't wait to go back and listen to it. <laughs> and get more out of it. <laughs> I want to share a quick story with you, David, because uh, okay. when I when I had a chance to listen to you last week, this this the story popped into my head. And from a technical standpoint, you've asked me some questions about you know why stories for even for technical speeches. I had a uh, a professor. Let me get this right. She's a professor at a DU. She's a professor with a doctorate in. Statistics and Applied Mathematics for Gene Therapy Research. Okay. A brilliant woman. All right. This entire study on uh, all the gene, uh, all the gene, um, uh, uh, 23andMe, 23andU, mm-hmm. right? You do right. those swabbing and you can get your lineage and all those things. And then right. what right. does that information? Genetic studies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, genetic studies. So she came, she had all this information. She's like, I have an hour long a keynote that I need to give to non-scientists, to human beings. Mm-hmm. She's like, and if I just talk about this, they're not going to listen to me. I was like, perfect. Let's go find some stories. So we put together a whole collection of stories and then attached all the meaning for the entire presentation, hour-long keynote in it. And she knew that she had to grasp her audience from the very, very beginning. Mm-hmm. 
So she starts off with, she gives a little bit of the, 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 the groundwork, right? She sets the expectation with the audience. Mm-hmm. Like, right, let's, let's get into this. What's my connection to gene therapy research? And she just puts on the slide. I told her, say nothing for five seconds. Your audience is going to laugh. And it is a giant image of a white Bronco with OJ Simpson. And my connection to gene therapy research, OJ Simpson. She just did it. And the audience just broke up and started laughing. And afterwards, she came back and said, how, how do you know they would do that? I said, because they don't expect in this. It's a complete juxtaposition to what they're expecting you to talk about. It's that shift that causes them to, to lean in. And you saw everybody laugh and just lean into her. Mm-hmm. And they continue to do so for the whole rest of the presentation because we use her as the basis of gene therapy research because she's six foot tall and she's a redhead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or a gene anomaly. So we actually right. utilize a lot of her personal story and, and her engagement with, with taking these different tests and what it means to her and how it applies to you. And the result was just, it was beautiful to watch this performance just take place. So wow. Stories. What a terrific story. What a terrific story. Well, Keith, this has been fascinating. We're going to need to wrap up. What I'd like to do is offer you a chance to tell our listeners how they can reach you and why they might want to reach you. So a little plug for what you do and for whom. A little plug for, for what I do. Uh, you can find me at uh, articulated-intelligence.com. You can also email me at keithbailey at stage-coaching.com. And why, I'm going to put it in the form of a quote, why, why you should learn what it is that I've created and, and to be able to tap into this bottomless story well. And I'm going to give you a quote by a great professional speaker, one that you know really well, uh, by the name of Hilary Blair. Mm, mm-hmm. She imparted this knowledge upon me, I'd say about two years ago when I joined NSA Colorado. She said there's a direct correlation between a, a business professional and a professional athlete. A professional athlete someone spends more time scrimmaging and reading the playbook than they do playing the actual game in competition. If your job involves you taking stages and delivering messages and connecting with audience from, from one to infinity, you need to stay in a state of scrimmaging and practice. So when the time comes up for you to play the game or get on that stage, you've been doing this all along and you won't have that trepidation. You won't have that ring rust. Your body's going to automatically put you in that position and you will be successful. So if your role is to speak on a regular basis, then you need to stay in a state of practice. And that's what we offer. We send out a daily with one word. Once you've played first, best, last, worst, you know the the first tenant of the game Mm -hmm. and then you can play along. And we send out a daily word, a daily with one word. And then we encourage people to play the game and then to post a video to our Facebook live page and just share stories and stay in that state of competition. Wow. That sounds fascinating. The way you stay in touch with people that way. You mm-hmm. give them an exercise to do every single day. Yep. Yeah, and we all we all play the same word, which is which is really fun. Wow. Okay. I can't wait to see more about that. I'll have to sign yeah. up for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that you all play, right. you are you, you can technically sign up for it. We'd love to have you there. We also do a uh, a weekly Facebook live on Wednesdays at one p.m. Mountain Standard Time. It's thirty minutes. 
we get in, we tell stories, we hear stories. We've got people who come in that have a, a story that they've been working on for a presentation okay. and they just have a, a test audience. Like, hey, this is a story I'm, I'm, getting, I'm thinking about telling. What do you guys think? And they'll tell a story. And here's the last thing about the story. Keep them short. The shorter the story, the better. Mm-hmm. The longer the story, the more difficult it is to keep your audience. So if you're able yes. to, to tell a quick story, an anecdote, mm-hmm whatever it may be, and then attach that piece of content, your audience will appreciate for it. Yes, that's right. Work on shortening them. But I like the fact that you said earlier, you start with a, a mindset of abundance. You uh, accrete as, as many details as you need to make the, to give the, the story a lot of granularity, and then you can strip things away. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. All right. You've shared your email address and your website. Those will be uh, uh, visible to our viewers. And it's been such a pleasure having you on the show, Keith. This has been The Power of Story and Science. I'm David Odie, and I have a big thank you to offer to my guest, Keith Bailey. Thanks for being here. That concludes my conversation with Keith Bailey. But don't go away. Coming up in one minute is a preview of our next episode with special guest Patricia Fripp. You will want to hear what this well-known speaker and speaking coach has to say about working with scientists and engineers on their technical presentations. You are a knowledgeable expert, and you want your expertise to make a difference to your audience, but you can't see them and gauge their reactions. Therefore, you need new tools for engaging that unseen audience. Hi, I'm David Odie, offering you a way to pick up those tools. In my new self-paced online course, you will discover three ways to improve your story, one fascinating tool for hooking your audience's attention, and eight details in your physical environment that will set you apart from other virtual presenters. Today's technical presentations are going virtual. And that means you can reach a wider audience as long as you understand how to serve that audience. So join me for the online course, Own the Virtual Stage. Confidently connect with an unseen audience. Just go to ownthevirtualstage.com for details. My first scientist ever was my next door neighbor, and this was back in the 90s. He was working for Genentech. He was a lead en- uh, lead scientist on a project developing an AIDS vaccine. Mm. And I said, Mike, would you like to speak to my, go- my Continental Breakfast Club? This is a group of business women and we have speakers every two weeks. He's got a great personality. And, of course, AIDS was such a popular, well, it was in the headlines, we wanted to hear from someone working on a vaccine. And I said, understand, Mike, you are very smart and we're very smart. However, we don't spend time with scientists. So I want you to open your presentation telling us what is it like to be a scientist? And this is what he said. Being a scientist is like doing a jigsaw puzzle in a snowstorm at night when you don't have all the pieces and you don't have the picture you're trying to create. 
Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> and I defy you to come up with a better description of what is very complex for a lay audience. And that was his words. He's obviously a great communicator. No, that was good. And so that was a great opening of which he captivated us. We all sat forward. Now, before we continue with the rest of the coaching session, let's look at what was so powerful. One, he used simple words, however, they were picture words. Mm -hmm. Being a scientist. Okay, I see someone in a white coat. It's like doing a jigsaw puzzle. All right, I, I, my brother and I grew up with kids with jigsaw puzzles, and my parents had this big piece of lino that they would put on the table so you can do the jigsaw puzzle. And as we got older, they got very complex, so you wouldn't do it in one seating, so you'd have to move it off and come back. So I, for a moment, I flash back to that scene. In a snowstorm, the picture changes at night when you don't have all the pieces and you don't have the picture you're trying to create. Because if you think of it this way, whether your presentation is technical or not, some words communicate more information than the time it takes to say them. For more wisdom from this remarkable woman, be sure to catch our next episode titled Patricia Fripp. It's clarity, not dumbing down. This has been The Power of Story and Science. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend, leave us a review, or so that you don't miss anything, subscribe at Podbean or wherever you like to get your podcasts. This program is a production of Speaking of Solutions, LLC. Theme music by Kevin Lufkin. I'm David Odie. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.